Hey, everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome back to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Man, boxing action. That's all that's going on this week, bro. Some boxing action. I woke up so early this morning. So did my boy, Eris Pina, copy box operator and also fellow fight history, but just, you know, overall fight, dude. We woke up early this morning and we got some shit to talk about, my friend. How you doing, bro? Good, man. Still jazzed up from uh, early this morning. I know how early like, I woke up. You're on the West Coast, so I couldn't even be more. But did you wake up like three, four in the morning? I mean, I was afraid because I kept looking at the times. I was like, all right, what time is this shit going to start? Some of it was like, if you want to see the whole card, you got to wake up at like 2.45. And I'm like, sorry, but that's not happening. But then it was like the walkouts might happen at 4.45, could be earlier. And I'm like, dude, I need a firm time. Couldn't really find what I thought was a firm time. So I just woke up at like 4. I was like, you know, 4 a.m., which to me is like not that much earlier than I usually wake up, but it's earlier enough that that shit was kind of disruptive. I woke up and was like, fuck, but it's so, all right. I went to bed around 5 a.m. last night. Oops. And, um, well, this morning for that matter. And then I woke up on my own at like 730. That's just like my own mental alarm clock. And just check the time and it said, you know, I know anyway, Fulton wasn't going to start for like 20 minutes. So I was like, all right. So I was able to, I closed my eyes again, but I put like the phone, like one of my ear, earbuds in my phone, just and I put it to the lowest order, just so I can kind of hear it in the background while I was like, you know, closing my eyes again. And when I started hearing the introductions, that's why I woke up and I was fully invested in what was going on. But yeah, you know, it's crazy <sighs> and we have to make a big sacrifice to do it. But at the same time, you got to put it in perspective. Think almost like a decade ago, we wouldn't even be able to uh, watch this live. Not even a chance. You know what I mean? Yep. We'd have to get like third party accounts and people posting to Twitter or wherever, you know, we'd be able to figure it out. Wax boxing or some shit like that. And then um, all of us, the tape traders and stuff, would be scrounging for uh, footage of it after that. So, No, for sure. And and on top of that, a little added perspective, just so our international viewers and listeners aren't totally just like jump kicking us as they're listening. Man, a lot of these a lot of these folks got to like wake up at two, three in the morning to catch mainstream U.S. boxing and stuff like that or stay up that late. So, I mean, you know, I we, we can't be really complaining that much. Well, I will say I can't. Y'all can on the East Coast because sometimes y'all are staying up to like fucking two and thirty in the morning well, for some regular ass fucking shows. Time. There'll be times I'll be working a show and because of the way they space them out and when the main event start and all that, the main event will start till around one a.m. That's and yeah. You're so and you're just like, oh my god, like you know, it's I don't drink coffee, but I mean those that it's the very rare occasion where I'm gonna have to down an energy drink. Yeah, so I can't complain too much. For me, that doesn't happen often. But for the East Coast, it's more common. Point being, though, it was worth it, dude. You know, um, we're, we got to talk about, first, we're going to be talking about a little bit of a recap of Noya Inoue and his destruction of Steph Fulton. We'll get to the preview of this weekend, Terrence Crawford versus uh, Errol Spence in just a moment. But it was worth it. Uh, we were talking about the kind of technician that Noah Inoue is before we even got on and started recording. Uh, I messaged you, I messaged you like right as the fight started. I'm like, dude, get up. If you're not awake, wake up right now. Fight's about to start. I remember that. I went back immediately. I was like, I'm good to go. There's all sorts of people who, if you're a casual fan or not a hardcore fan, you might not know who Inoue is. 
you might have kind of seen the the name, read the name, whatever. You might have seen the the poster that Top Rank did a few years ago with the monster and the kind of Godzilla style thing. You might have been aware of some of these things, but perhaps you weren't really familiar with him. And I brought up the analogy of of Roman Gonzalez Chocolatito a little bit ago, where you know a new way has been putting in the work for seven, eight, nine years already. Chocolatito was doing roughly the same before he arrived on HBO in the mid uh, 2010s. And people were like, who's this new Chocolatito guy? He's not new. He's been doing it. You just weren't aware. You know, it's not our fault. You weren't paying attention. And similarly with a new way, it's not our fault. You weren't paying attention because some of us has been singing his praise for a long time. Um, and the performance that he delivered this morning, afternoon, evening, wherever the fuck it was you, you were at the time, it was special it is the kind of performance where you're making a really good high level fighter look ordinary. That's exactly what he did. That couldn't have said it better. I mean, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And like you said, Pat, he's just one of those guys that if you knew, you knew, you know what I mean? There has already been like rumblings about him right before he even turned pro. And then right away, he was kind of hot shot. He wasn't held back from anything. And for him to be a three-division titleist and then going for his fourth title, and it wasn't like one of those, oh, you know, four-division titleists like Adrian Broner to a lesser degree, someone like Close uh, Gets in that category, Leo Gamez. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I like Gamez personally. He was a fun little fighter. But yeah. I mean, but the quality the of the yeah Absolutely. triple champion. Yeah, yeah, the beneficiary of being a favorite of an organization. Not super great. Exactly. But no. Nah. In a way, it was like a legit champion. He was wiping out divisions and wiping out competition. And the way he was doing it was just like something, a blend of speed and power, athleticism, the the technique, everything that you could see. Like he he was a complete fighter, and you could just see that early on. Like all you, we wanted to do was just see him slightly tested because the way he was blowing out guys like Omar Navarez and all these other fighters during that during this time was just incredible, you know. And then he finally gets tested against Donito Donaire, who eventual first ballot hall of famer guy has incredible credentials himself and one of the best lower weight fighters of the past 40 years and you know great fighters always have one of those last great efforts in them and don't ever really put it up in that night and that was the first time we saw the monster absolutely really tested and that answered all the questions we need to know and it's almost like after you we realized then because don't was hitting him with some of his cracking hooks and other punches that would mm-hmm. you know literally knock out guys cold and did damage um in a way like he broke his eye socket i think he broke his nose in a way damaged his hand like he went through hell in that fight but not only did he get through it he never got knocked down he never lost his composure should have scored a knockout and i think it was around like round 11 with the body shot and you know still came out with a comprehensive win even though he did you know go through hell and fire oh yeah i mean that was so, a struggle like, absolutely he struggled fantastic and, fight when he came through that fight it was almost like, oh, my God. Like, now not only is this dude this incredible blend of, you know, just punching power and speed and everything else, he could take a fucking punch. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> he could take a big punch. And, like, he can get through it and not get, like, deterred or, like, get discouraged or anything like that. Like, no, he just keeps on going. That's a scary, scary proposition for anyone because that makes him a complete fighter. And when you're a complete fighter with that type of talent, that makes you a generational talent. And that's what we're seeing on our hands right now, man. Like, he, he it was what he did today with with Stephen Fulton. This was a fight that, even though Inouye was a comprehensive favorite by the time the bell rang, many people, especially on boxing Twitter, insiders, everything like that, were looking at it as a true even 50-50 fight. 
you know, and the first real test of Anaway's career and a guy that he's moving up, is this going to be too much for him? Like, he's not a big, big guy. And Fulton has been featured prominently on Showtime a lot, you know, um, under the PVC banner. And he's look, been looking dazzling, you know, against guys like um, Brandon Figueroa and Danny Romano and such. So it's like, you know, if you see um, Fulton more prominently featured on television, he's the more, I guess, established name on American television. And then you have NOA, who even though every, you know, the real ones know that he's a top five, should obviously now after this, top pound for pound fighter in the world, there's still going to be a lot of skeptics out there. Oh, he's never fought a guy like this. He's never fought a person bigger than him like that with the skill set of a guy like Fulton. You know, Fulton's from Philadelphia. He does this, he does that, yada, yada, yada. Inouye's going to get exposed. His chin's up. He does. There was a lot of, there was all these, you know, questions and answers. And then even up until the, uh, to the bell, and I'm going to bring it, I'll let you um, chime in on this. You know, there was all these stupid controversies coming up and all these different questions. Oh, how did Inouye get power like this? Oh, he's putting on plaster at Paris. No, no, he's stacking with his wraps. Um, he's doing this. He's doing that. And there was like these <laughs> questions. There was all these different going back and forth. And all, you know, it was just becoming like a big thing about Inouye. Like, what the hell are we going to, what, what the hell? Everybody was just assuming. A lot of people were starting to assume that Inouye was going to get exposed that night and that Fulton was going to be the one to do it. And if not anything, Fulton might even stop him, which is hysterical because he only has eight knockouts, like eight knockouts to his credit. So all that being said, all it did was piss off in a way enough to put on the most complete performance of his career. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of, and I'll, I'll get to exactly what you're talking about in just a sec, but in my opinion, a lot of kind of what, what we were talking about before with Chocolatito and the fact that he seems to be arriving on the U.S. scene or in the kind of U.S. consciousness, you know, of the fans or whatever, a little bit later than some fighters might. Um, you know, apart from the real hardcores or whatever, that kind of leaves the door open a little bit to create these scenarios or these doubts or whatever, where, you know, he, he arrived at champ at world championships very early in his career at a pretty young age. He definitely has a different engaging style with the press than a lot of other fighters do. He does, he's not very engaging. He seems to, you know, give shorter answers. He's not as jovial sometimes, et cetera. So I think that there's a there, the language, when you add the language barrier to that, I think that that's difficult for a lot of U.S. media and U.S. fans. Um, and then on top of that, you know, he, he comes from, coming from Japan, he hasn't participated in quite the amount of international amateur tournaments as an amateur that would have made him more familiar to U.S. fans. He was in, I believe, one or two world amateur championships, and I think a Pan Am Games or something like that, or, you know, one of those types of games that are, there's a handful of them around the world. And so that being said, that's actually, in my opinion, kind of impressive because that means that um, what he's been forced to spar with train with the fighters that he's had to go in with you know it's a little bit more concentrated it's not as a wide as wide a variety of styles as you might find in a philadelphia which is not far from new york or in la or places in texas etc um you know you might see a little bit more uh higher level variety of styles so I could be off on that, but I do feel like that that's a little bit more impressive that he's been able to do what he's been able to do with a little bit less, you know, resources or what seems to be fewer resources. 
Um, but he's already proven, obviously, today that he now he has seen that style or he has seen a style that seems unfamiliar on his record or whatever. And not only did he overcome it, he like he really fucking overcame it really, really fucking emphatically. But um, yeah, the, those pre-fight scenarios, dude, and the the kind of complaints and they really did seem like borderline excuses uh starting with the hand wraps we've seen stuff like this in the past and you see legitimate uh, uh fights where there are legitimate complaints about hand wraps and and pulling out uh, stuffing out of gloves Luis Resto versus Billy Collins being the obvious one that was fucking awful and terrible and ended tragically on kind of on both parts and then just was icky and stuck with the sport for a really long time. But then you also have these other kind of misunderstood cases, like even Antonio Margarito, the shit that he pulled and his trainer pulled against Shane Mosley is still really misunderstood because people are like, yeah, he had this fucking big concrete thing in his hand. And it's like, no, you know, he, he used an old knuckle pad. An old knuckle pad that is like somewhat common to have in the gym, which is still illegal and you can't do and have in trying to do that is bad, but that's not having a sledgehammer on your hand. And then further again to someone like Felix Trinidad, where in the early 2000s, immediately preceding the Bernard Hopkins fight, somebody like Steve Kim writes fucking Cheeto Trinidad in the fucking headline. And so all of a sudden it's quoting Fernando Vargas. It's quoting, uh, you know, um, joppy it's quoting you know a handful of these other fighters who were like yeah the way he hits is not natural there's got to be something in his gloves or i'm sorry it was immediately after the hopkins fight because uh it was as a result of nazim richardson the only thing that happened and this will go immediately to this anue shit in just a sec the stacking thing the only thing that happened was that one of tito's gloves they had started wrapping the hand wraps before Nassim Richardson had gotten into the into the uh, room to watch, which is one of the, you have to have a representative from one fighter's side watching the other fighter get their hands wrapped to make sure there's nothing untoward because otherwise they got to pay an official to do that the entire time or two officials and they're not going to do that. So in any case, Nassim Richardson, smart guy in there, saw it and was like, nope, got to start over. I wasn't here. They refused to start over, and that caused the big delay before Hopkins Trinidad. But, you know, et cetera, he was also there for Margarito Mosley. He's the one who caught that shit, too. He was very observant and knew what was going on. The other thing for Hopkins Trinidad was that Felix Trinidad Sr., his method of hand wraps was that he would put the tape directly on the knuckles and then alternate tape gauze tape gauze tape gauze and it would essentially create a cast like effect over the hand like over specifically this part of the hand on the knuckles there and so if you look at the way like felix trinidad's hands were wrapped it looks fairly tight and then there's this big knuckle thing and so uh they were the protest was oh it's a big cast like thing and so the cast helps you hit harder no this was the controversy before uh Inoue fulton too was that they were saying, well, yeah, you know, that's why Inoue hits so hard is because he's using that stacking method. No, that's used to protect the hands. And you can't exactly protect the hands, you know what I'm saying, but also use it as a sledgehammer on your hand. It doesn't work that way. You know, the whole point of gloves and hand wraps is to protect your hands. That's what the point was from the beginning, was that bare-knuckle fighters were getting to like 40 years old and like can't pick up a fucking glass because their hands are useless. You know, like this is... This is relevant here. So 
it it wound up becoming and sorry i know it was a big diatribe but it's worth being said because you know it, it's damaging when this type of shit makes the rounds even among pundits and like legitimate writers who are writing about this like it's true come on you guys do better research or ask somebody because this is bullshit and then you know beyond that uh that was probably the biggest thing but then there was some stuff about gloves and there's talk about ped usage i don't even really get into that because it's like unless there's some massive red flag with one particular fighter or something like that beyond they don't like getting tested like any fighter wants to get tested you know what i'm saying beyond something like that you just kind of assume every fighter's using peds bro come on it's 2023 years i mean it goes in any sport you know what i mean <laughs> exactly you know any high any high level athlete it's like if they got the money they're doing something evan fields <laughs> just a reality bro but i mean it, yeah like i said i'm sorry to go on the big diatribe no, but, it, no, but you're relevant. totally yeah but you're totally right though about like um when it comes to the hand wrapping and protecting fighters and things of that nature because look not to go off course too much but like look at guys in the past that were known to have really really bad hands and went on to just have chronic bad hands uh hands throughout life like um all-time great tommy lockren who legend has it um his hand, his right hand was so bad that he was only able to use it maybe once or twice in a fight, effectively, in a 15-round fight, even sometimes 20-round fights, whatever he had to go in. And, it's, and that's why he was known for having maybe the greatest left hand in boxing history, like with jab and everything else, because he was forced to do that. His hand was so bad. Um, Jimmy Braddock, another one, who at one point, before you know he became the Cinderella man and heavyweight champion, he was a rising light heavyweight contender and looked upon as being maybe the future light heavyweight champion. Um, you know, before um, he started losing decisions, his hands went completely really, really bad. I think it was his right hand especially that he had to get multiple surgeries on and things like that. It was featured in the movie, but that also affected his performances in the ring where he went on that giant skit of losing fight after fight where, you know, it looked like he was a bum after a while. So yeah, he was forced to fight with a bad hand because he didn't, he didn't have time to let it heal, but he had to fight. Exactly. That's... Exactly. You know? And then if you look at guys even more modern today, like Floyd Mayweather, for instance, the only knockdown, the only official knockdown of his career was against Carlos Hernandez. And it wasn't because Hernandez hit him. It was because Mayweather hit him and he hurt his hand so badly. He was forced to touch the canvas with it, you know? are Jeff Fennick. Um, Jeff Fennick, probably out of the modern era, had the most brut brittle hands you can think of out of, like, Hall of Fame fighters. You know, for a guy that was a churning puncher the way he was and rampaging and marauding and beating the shit out of you with his volume and heavy hands, his hands were so brittle that, like, they, he was always talking about how he's dumping him in ice after fights and literally in tears, so. Or Harry Kutze. AKA oh, yes. the Boxburg bomber, AKA the bionic hand, because he had had so many surgeries on his right and hand. They actually fused it into a whole thing, right? Yeah, they fused his hand into a bone, like a giant yeah. thing where it did become a bionic right hand. It, it's very difficult convincing me that you could both use this method to protect your hands so that you could use them later in life as a normal human being might be able to, but also have some sort of massive anvil or weapon in your, it doesn't, it doesn't track. And on top of that, it's adding weight. And I'm sorry. It's it. Yeah. I, I have a tough time buying it for an almost all, any case like that. Um, beyond, like I said, Louis resto, Billy Collins, that kind of thing. That's different. But in any case, yeah, it's relevant because it's damaging. 
we're still, I, I still hear about Felix Trinette if I post on the boxing history page, cheater. And I'm like, fuck me, dude. That went a long way, didn't it? It traveled a long way. And so, you know, it, it's worth mentioning. And on top of that, we're seeing it like in action. We're seeing it live. We saw this morning, you know, kind of going straight back to the fight here and what exactly happened. Naoya Inoue, dude, that jab, the jab to the body, the the kind of presence of mind that he had. And a lot of the kind of talk leading into the fight was, look, Inoue's never seen anybody like Fulton who could fight on the inside. A lot of Philadelphia fighters are really adept at fighting on the inside. That's kind of the calling card. Uh, you know, he's never been in with anybody like that. And that that was true. There is some truth to that. But we also saw that, like, Fulton was not ready for the speed. He wasn't ready for the way that Inoue just seemed to kind of have him measured, like, really quickly. That was yeah. what kind of shocked me. I figured that there would be a lot more tussling, a lot more back and forth, that Fulton would be kind of trying to push him around in spots or something, even though I know he's a, more of a counterpuncher, more of an outside guy. I just figured he'd be trying to do something. Man, Inoue was on him and on him early. Dude, it was brilliant from the very first jab to the body. Like, you know, we were just talking about before we started recording. Um, the first minute or so, they were just really intentionally just intently just staring at each other, you know, studying each other, figuring out each other's move, who's going to make the first move, who's going to figure it out, you know, putting the foot uh, placement, trying to, it's like playing chess, you know what I mean? You're just really trying to feel each other, you're piecing each other out and trying to figure out where you're going to go with it. And then, like you said, right away, though, and anyway, started with the jab to the body. Boom, boom. And he landed a couple of free, you know, and that was him getting his range and, you know, and getting his timing and distance. And right away, I noticed within, once he started throwing punches, I noticed right away, like you just said, there was a speed difference. And you could see in Fulton's eyes and in his body language, he was immediately kind of surprised by that, by the yeah, speed. Yeah, he wasn't seeing those shots. Oh, yeah, he was really, you know. The it first was like almost the body. delayed reaction, you know, like, pop, ugh. yeah 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 exactly damn for a guy who i'm sure he felt that he could match at least match in a way speed or come you know close enough to it um now he looked visibly surprised right away it was a jab to the body jab to the body then he started landing jabs to the head and i was surprised at how accurate and quickly in a way was like already starting to take him apart and fulton was it was overwhelmed especially or you know it took him a few rounds like he started warming up a little bit near the end but like even then Anything he tried to do, Inoue still had just like a feature for him. And it was like, he was overwhelmed, you know? He couldn't keep up with his speed. He couldn't come up with um, with the angles, the foot placement, like the, just the ring general shit. And anytime, you know, Fulton was like forced to do something, like he was usually off with it a little bit. And not to say that Inoue was like landing clean every single time. Like Fulton was, was showing good defense and rolling with a lot of those punches, but he was still getting tagged and still having points, take, you know, losing points. And it, it was just brilliant. Like each round, in a way, got a little bit more dominant. It seemed like, and it was like once he started laying the combinations, boom, both to be shaking his head, no, but it it was just the the pure volume and like the, the beauty of it. Like he was countering Fulton sometimes. You still go to the body. Like it was the jab was his main key. Fulton couldn't do anything with it, and he just really couldn't get started. Um, there were rounds where he was barely throwing a punch, and in a way, it was just dictating the whole pace, you know, and um. I think the two rounds where like Fulton did have success was like round five and uh, I don't know, another round along those middle rounds where he landed a few right hands and like started, you know, moving forward. And um, you would think, okay, yeah, he's having success, but you still can't give him the round. Maybe if you really felt like it, but like I couldn't justify it because anything he did, NOA still did better that yeah. round. Still closed it out better. 
Yeah, it was one of those situations, in my opinion, where when I saw people giving him rounds, I, I'm not like calling anybody out or like, oh, you're stupid. I don't mean like that. And and I think that it's it's something that can be you really easily get roped into where a fighter does better in a round than he was doing. And you're like, oh, he won the round. Like, nah, he just did better. The other guy still won the round. You know, and, and I think it's easy to kind of get sucked into that fallacy of scoring where if a fighter does a little bit better, he deserves a round because he was getting his ass kicked the last round or something. And I, I feel like that's kind of what we were seeing. Uh, I, I don't think there's really much question that it should have taken, you know, pretty much all of the rounds. Um, yeah, dude, he was really dialed in. He started early and he didn't really seem to let up except for a couple of times he seemed as if he was, all right, like now I'm going to start opening up. And he started opening up a little bit and Fulton was like, all right, I'm catching these big shots. Like I, I'm seeing these. And he did start catching a number of them on his gloves, you know, moving his head a little bit. So it wasn't like he was just standing there the entire time or anything yeah. like that. And so he did well to kind of force Inoue to make a couple of adjustments. And he did. Uh, and like you said, there were two rounds where Fulton started using his legs, started kind of doing what he should have been doing from the beginning. He started using his legs and it started seeming like, oh, okay, you know, this is what he should have been doing from the beginning. This is the key to kind of making a new way reach, making him, you know, come in, countering his counters type of thing. And he did have some success with that. It's just that a new way was so crisp, dude. So crisp. And and I I don't want to just make it sound like I'm gushing, you know, like because I I don't want to go overboard, it, but it really also, was it's, it's literally the truth. When you see a generational good like that, and when you see a potential all-time great, and that's uh that's where he's on his way to with this, you know, track record that he has going on right now. Um, I mean, bro, you have to gush over a performance like that, all right? Like this was the biggest fight of his career. This was on paper, um, the toughest fight of his career. This was the fight that everybody on boxing Twitter and all the experts were saying that was going to be the toughest one and the one that was going to either make or break them and the one that was going to, you know, catapult Fulton into greatness or whatever it was. And like we both said, even though in a way was a favorite on um, by the betting odds, this was still looked upon as a true 50 50 fight. And in a way, just dominated. Like it just didn't even made it, you know, at points it wasn't even really competitive. And that's what legend that's what great fighters do that's what great great you know generational talent good fighters do they take fighters who are fine very very good fighters like fulton and guys who you know who like i said i absolutely can see him be a champion again at featherweight or wherever totally. they end up. but they you know when you fight a generational talent like that there is a gap there you know when you a guy like floyd used to do it manny used to do it roy jones obviously Bernard Hawkins to a degree, like, you know. Actually, it wasn't to a I take that back. Not to a degree, because Hopkins clearly outclassed guys like Kelly Pavlik and stuff and Winky Wright. So, I mean, gap right there, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and Fulton, unified champion, uh, somebody who, who was deserving, you know, of the title. Yes. Uh, so it wasn't just some chump, but that's the whole point, is that Fulton was not a chump. He was a very good fighter, and in a way separated himself from Fulton so clearly and that's, and that's what's so brilliant about it you know what I mean that's what makes it so impressive is that Fulton is such a good fighter and looked upon as such a high level fighter in this era and in the world you know a lot of people were actually like talking about trying to put him in the bottom end of the power for pound list if not actually being there whatever it may be and like in no way just wiped him out just showed him that there's levels to this though and Fulton's at a very high level in a way he's at the very highest level yep 
<clears throat> no question. Yeah, I could see Fulton winning a, another title or two. A very, very good fighter. Uh, but man, that finish too. That oh finish was wicked, dude. Like each round, Pat, like you could tell that it was he was working toward that. And like, you know, Fulton, even like we said, he had a couple of moments with right hands here and there, but like he was wilting. Absolutely. Even though he's shaking his head, no, no, no. There's only so much that you can take, especially from the bombs of a guy like Inouye. And then when Inouye really started putting his combinations together in that last round and like, you know, tattooing them up, it was it looked like it was going to be only a matter of time. And then when he landed that right hand, Fulton had to go down. And then when he got up and just the, that finishing block, that. Yeah. I mean, to, to talk like tactics just for a second. I mean, I know like I've, some people are split. Some people are like, uh, and other people are like, yeah. So I don't know, whatever. But I some of the stuff that I did notice though, first of all, the jab of the body was so key, dude. It was really? it was not only really uh educated, but it was hard. That was a hard shot. You could hear it thump, thump when he was throwing it. He was putting some power into it, but then he was looping his right hand around Fulton's guard because Fulton did start catching some of those shots. He's yeah, high he guard, is. uh, and he started looping his punches around. He started getting warning a little bit for, you know, throwing around the guard or whatever. Fine. And then you could see in rounds like five, six, seven, that Inoue started working his hook. You know, he started working like, all right, kind of out of nowhere, working his hook a little bit more, perhaps getting Fulton thinking about the hook to land that right hand. But in that final round, in the eighth round, I noticed that, uh, you know, I was kind of typing along with it, tweeting a lot, Xing along with it, whatever the fuck you want to call it now. Uh, basically, I was like, look, it, it looks like Inoue is kind of slowing it down instead of throwing bombs again. He's kind of just tap, 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 uh, which is, you know, in the eyes of many technical analyst type people, definitely a sign of a, a very good, if not great fighter. The, that ability to slow your pace, that ability to vary the kind of speed and power of punches instead of just always going, rah, rah, but, you know, just tap, 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 bam, you know that type of shit that's exactly what Inoue was doing in that last round kind of getting Fulton to lower his guard a little bit oh, okay he's going for speed and sharpness again blammo that right hand was nasty dude just absolutely disgusting waited for it caught him at the perfect moment and I mean no shame going down getting hurt from that shot because it was absolutely brutal monster shot and then when he gets up or actually even on the way down that leaping shot, there've been a couple of really good photos of it. And the way he right. blasts him with the left hand, like midair, dude, motherfucking Floyd Patterson. Oh yeah. Style. The way he just jumps in there. With yeah. A long look and hit him with that, God. that custom auto gazelle punch fucking. Yeah. That shit was great. And then swarmed his ass, man. It was bad, dude. It was great. Oh, and you know, it was just one of those years. It, it made you happy to be a boxing fan. It made you excited to like, know that there's a talent out there that is probably the best in the world and even though we're going to get to the big event that's happening on saturday i still feel that in is the best fighter in the world regardless of what happens that night you know what i mean like he proved himself right now and i can't wait to see what else is going to happen with him like clearly he's going to go on and um unify the division and become the first undisputed champ at one uh, at 122 which is pretty exciting in itself um and then from there, who knows? The sky's the limit. Um, on Twitter, people... <laughs> so many fucking stupid people on Twitter sometimes. Man. There, was already, <laughs> there was like somebody that was already saying that, um, you know, he can come meet Tank at 126. <laughs> <laughs> and which limb is Tank cutting off the fucking... Saying, right? to, to, to get down there to do that. Um, other people saying, yeah, yeah, we need him at 130. I'll have him fight Loma or do this and that. Like, what? 
you know, just how about we have her move the featherweight first and see what happens, all right? Yeah, and and on top of that, like I I said this earlier, but it, he doesn't really seem particularly interested in like yeah, sitting atop a division and like cleaning it out and making defenses. Which whatever you know, uh, I, I I obviously we've in shows about guys like Hopkins, uh, Hagler. I mean, just as easy examples of fighters who remained at one weight and just like cleaned the fuck out of divi- out of a division, you know. There's a lot of value, in my opinion, to that. But there is some value, too, to just running through divisions. And I mean, he's doing it. He's just running through these divisions like they're nothing. I'm not going to tell him to stop. So uh, he's already uh, called out immediately after the fight, Marlon Tapales, to completely unify 122 pounds. Um, and I mean, what are you, how are you going to get mad? You know, they're talking about making that fight already before the end of the year which would mean that in the span of a year, you know, he maybe had a little time off, but, you know, in two fights, now he's completely unified 120 yeah, pounds. <laughs> Who's going to get mad about that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to try to avoid. Like, I mean, come on. There's Who's the fuck do you think he's avoiding? Nobody's not avoiding anybody. So, you know, there's talk about him having avoided so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm not buying it. So in any case, you know, it's he's refreshing. Like, like to... the, um, especially, too, with the way he's moved up to each division challenging guys. It's almost like um, like Arguello. Whenever Arguello moved up from division to division, he always chose who he felt was the bat- like the toughest guy of that division. You know what I mean, when he went up to 130, he Escalera, who was looked upon as probably the toughest of the division. You know what I mean? Goes to 135. Um, he fights Jim Watt. Like, yeah, Hilmer Kenty was there, but Watt was the more proven champion and had to win over Howard Davis. So, and uh, I think he went to, he went overseas to challenge him for that belt too. And um, and then when he moves up to 140 and he finally runs into the brick wall, but I mean, Aaron Pryor, think about that. Like, he could have fought someone like Saul Mambe or someone other, like, you know, a safer champion that he probably would have got, uh, he probably would have beat, but he fought the most dangerous guy you could possibly imagine. So... Yeah, I mean everybody. Everybody has their limit. Inoue is going to have his too if he keeps going up. It, it's just bound to happen. Period. Apparently, it's going to be against Tank one day. <laughs> if it is, it is. You know, I mean, that's whatever. That's fine. But, um, but yeah, I I can't see. You know, I'm I don't see him uh, avoiding anybody. I don't. If anybody's getting mad at him for what he's doing, they're dumb. So it, yeah, it, it's definitely like you said earlier. He's special. He's kind of a generational talent. And coming from where he came from, both in terms of lower weights and, you know, uh, non-U.S., you know, that's big. It, I wish I wish that weren't the case. I wish we could say, well, whatever, it's a nas- international and U.S. fans will take anybody. It takes some convincing, and he, he has done the convincing. And he, I think he's finally, with this performance, going to win a lot of people over. And they maybe will be more willing to wake up at four fucking a.m. To, fuck it, I'll wake up at four a.m. Naoya, I'll do it. You tell me. I'll wait. I'll be there. Um, I saw a clip rolled in a few others talking about it on Twitter earlier. Do you consider him the best ever come out of Japan? I mean, he has to be in the discussion. There, there's no question. And I think that he would have been before this fight too. Um, and this is obviously compounds it. But um, he has to be in that discussion. He obviously does not benefit from having fought, like, you know, fighting Harada, for instance, is going to be at the extreme top, of course, too. And he had the benefit of fighting someone as great as Eder Joffre. So, like, you know, 
and pone king patch yeah so i mean like obviously those are some extremely top names uh at those divisions so i mean that's tough those are pretty tough to beat but at some point you got to start weighing what Inoue is doing and especially when he you know i'm gonna say when because i don't think you know no offense to marlon's palace but he's not gonna be anyway so i I don't believe so no (laughs) if he does that would be like some tyson douglas level of like upset but um yeah. So he unifies 122, becoming the first person that like unified the division. Um, and then he conceivably goes up to 126. Say he wins over there too, so that'd be five. Yeah, I, Jesus. Yeah, it'd be a pretty tough argument, dude. Pretty tough argument, you know. So yeah, I I, I think that you have to at least consider him already. And uh, if he keeps going and does more, it's gonna be pretty tough to argue against it for sure. I'm just enjoying the ride, man. Today was brilliant. Like anytime we get to enjoy his brilliance, just watch it. Yeah, if you're getting mad at this, you're getting mad at the wrong thing, dude. <laughs> it's For just real. so I mean, it's just so good. Like everything about it is just fun to watch. You know, that's why he's uh my favorite current fighter. Um yeah, he's probably the most complete one of the most complete dude, lower weight guys I've seen. And there's been a lot of great fighters, but I mean not even bring up Chocolatito because that's a given, but like to go back further. He reminds me of like, you know, watching Ricardo Lopez when I was a kid. And again, a lot of people, for whatever stupid reason, like to shit on Lopez today and his record and, oh, he's overrated and he's this and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I I definitely do wish he would have unified for sure. I I absolutely agree. Don't get me wrong. And it took him way too long to move up to to 108. And he should have fought Carbajal or he should have fought Chiquita Gonzalez. I agree. You know what I mean? Like he but, just but still wait. that doesn't like take away greatness. Yeah. Exactly. And like I'm not even talking about his credentials of what he could have and could have done accomplished. I'm just saying in terms of just being a fucking great fighter, Lopez was brilliant to me when I was young. Like just everything about it was so picture perfect. Like all my trainers would always just say, watch Lopez fights too. Like make sure you pay attention to him. He was just so compact the way his hands would be up, the way he just, you know, even before the round started, he always kept them up and then came in and just everything was just so precise nothing was ever wasted he was always on balance like it it was beautiful it was like you know watching watching like somebody paint a picture or something like that and you you see the same thing that in a way did today with Fulton it it kind of gave me the same feeling you know what I mean like a complete fighter just putting on a master class people act like the whole the idea of like a boxing hipster is like a new thing Bro, in the in the nineties, that's exactly what they were saying about Ricardo Lopez and people who were putting Lopez on their pound for pound list. Like, oh, you're a fucking hardcore hipster, or whatever, you know. Because if you were putting Lopez high on your pound for pound list, they're talking about where's Shane Mosley, where's Felix Trinidad, where's Roy Jones, and like, you know, whatever. But that was it was totally the exact same kind of and now they're and now they're talking about with Usyk, they're talking about with Inoue, mm-hmm. et cetera, you know, just because we're just like we said earlier, bro, just because we were paying attention and you weren't. Don't get mad at us, man. Don't fucking even, get mad at us. Even in the late two thousands, no excuse me, late two thousands, even in the early two thousands, because Lopez retired in 01, Um those last two fights of his were on HBO pay per views. One of them against um actually funnily enough against former uh, strawweight champions. Uh, one of them, what's got Ratanapol, Sorvorpin, and the yep. other one against uh, Zolani Patello. And those were the two times Lopez was ever featured on HBO. It was pay-per-view, but, you know, Merch and Roy Jones, the rest of them were all uh, commentating. So. And you can even tell 
when like Lampley and them when they were talking, like they just knew they had a like an all time great fighter on their presence, and they spoke and they talked about it, like the way you know in their commentary about it too. Like you know, you're watching a guy at the highest level perfect his craft, and even in the twilight of his career, still no one's gonna be fucking with him. And it's like, you know, and you can tell that they were enjoying finally being able to call one of his fights too. And depending on how long, in a way, lasts in his career, I don't think he's gonna have a career as long as Lopez. Um, who knows? But um, that way you would get the same sense. Like guys like that, even long lasting in their career near the end, you can just tell anytime they're in the ring, everybody has this ultimate respect and they just feel like they're honored to be in their presence to watch them do their thing. <clears throat> well, and <clears throat> excuse me, Lopez was dealing with a similar thing in terms of his weight. He didn't move up, but you know, he, he didn't get a lot of respect because of the weight he was fighting at. And also he was like just jammed deep onto Don King undercards too. Like, yeah, what a loss, you know, what a, what a waste. And but, also, man, it only was three pounds, bro. Like really, all he had to do was go to McDonald's and just get a couple of supersized meals and he could have won to one wait for a fight. Like, that's all And I remember how and they had the 29 cent, 39 cent cheeseburgers and shit in the 90s. Yes, Come on, absolutely. bro. This is the mid 90s. Come on, Lopez. could have stacked up. Come on, Lopez. Come on, Finito. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, it would have. Michael Carmahal, Michael Carmahal signed on with Don King around 94, 95 ish. Yep. Because it would have been right after the, yeah, right after the pay per view. Yeah, right after the Chiquita, the, the third Chiquita uh, pay-per-view fight. And when he beat Melcher Cobb Castro on one of those very deep on a Don King pay-per-view, Carvajal that was, you kind of assumed, okay, now him and Lopez, the Don signs both of them. Why, why would they not fight each other? And, of course, it didn't happen. Thank God for Rosendo Alvarez showing up out of nowhere, basically. I mean, again, hardcore heads like us who are reading Ring Magazine kind of knew who he was, even though we never watched his fights because there's no footage back then. But, like... I knew who he was. I was well aware. When I found out he was going to fight Lopez, I was at least curious because he was another champion, not another random scrub bucket. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it sucks that he that he was never really featured, and I, I couldn't say who it was. And I know that he had involvement with Nacho Beristain, and if that's true, then Nacho could have had some hand in that too, because he made some really funky managerial decisions as a trainer too. Which you know, we whatever that's like its own <laughs> show. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Nacho, a fantastic trainer, but not the greatest manager, unfortunately. That being said, dude, you know, Inoue, there's no question. He's got to be toward the absolute top of pound for pound list, if you even make pound for pound list. But there is something to be said for this coming weekend. Obviously, that whatever happens this weekend, it is going to affect these proverbial pound for pound lists one way or another, because we have two top fighters in Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford squaring off. Finally, uh, you know, I don't want to talk like, man, these guys have been avoiding each other because I don't really think that's been the case. I think there's been a number of kind of like semi-catastrophic things that have happened in each of their respective careers that have really derailed their careers at the time where it like didn't really make it feasible to make this fight because if it happened at that time, one or the other was going to have such a big advantage either financially or in the ring. And I'm not making excuses for them because similar to the easy example, of course, Mayweather Pacquiao could have happened earlier, should have happened earlier. And I think this fight probably could have happened earlier and should have happened earlier. It's a little bit of a shame that it's happening now where they're both, you know, late thirties and they could have been a little bit younger. And so as a result, we not, we might not be seeing each fighter at the absolute best, 
but it's still a damn top fight. And it is the fight to make, of course, at welterweight and perhaps the fight to make in boxing right now. So regardless, it's huge and I hope it does well, but got some stuff to discuss, dude. Got some fucking stuff to discuss, bro. It's a big fight. It's a huge fight. It's like you said, if not, um, it might be the biggest fight in boxing. It's the one that the world has been clamoring about for the past five years or so. All of us have been begging for it. We need Crawford versus Spence, Crawford versus Spence, and here we are. And like you said, Pat, there was a lot of shit that happened in the past that made it very difficult for this fight to, to happen. It wasn't, again, I don't think either guy was really scared of the other one or like avoiding, you know, avoiding nah. each other. It's, it's the state of the boxing industry, all right? Boxing has always been that one sport where it's almost impossible for whatever stupid-ass reason for the best to end up, the best of the best to fight each other. And it eventually will happen. I mean, look at 2023 and how the fantastic business with the fights. Yeah, and, uh, and I got to drop it since you mentioned it, and please let us get right back. But if you are one of these folks talking about boxing's falling apart, not happening, this, that, dude, you're dumb, you're stupid. Look at 2023. Absolutely. This year has been great. Please continue. That being said, it's still a pain in the ass to get these fights together because mm -hmm. that's the state of the mm -hmm. industry. You know what I mean? It takes forever for a lot of these fights to get mm -hmm. made because there's promotional differences, there's television differences, there's this. That It comes down to the very, very end. Like, there's so many things that have to be agreed on that it, it, it takes forever. And when you have network alliances and promotional alliances that don't really like to fuck with each other, don't get along, it makes things difficult, especially because they have their own, like the, uh, their promotional companies have their own idea of what they want to move with, uh, move their fighter. And it's not going to be involved in their rival getting a piece of the pie because they want to make a super fight with that, with, with their guy. You know what I mean? Unless it's like the absolute last necessity. And yep. so Crawford being with PBC, no, excuse me, um, Spence being with PBC, Crawford originally being with Bob Aram and top rank. Crawford had his own issues going on for a lot of years because he was feuding with Bob for a number of years of him, I guess, you know, feeling that he wasn't getting promoted hard enough or just being pushed enough as being his, you know, next star. Aaron, we all know, we've talked a lot about his shit and things we've, you know, he's done and all that. <laughs> we, dude, we could have an entire podcast episode, probably just clips of stuff we've talked about Bob Aram about. But one thing Bob Aram has always been known for is that whenever he signs a big prospect, um or a guy whatever he loves to brag about uh compare him to somebody in the past oh this is gonna be the next better than Delo Hoya or he's gonna be the next so-and-so from the past or if um a guy like Crawford he's gonna be the next Sugar Ray Leonard you're gonna see like I'm gonna promote him so good to do that and then he usually doesn't do that you know what I mean like for whatever reason he gets annoyed with the guy gets kind of bored like Vince McMahon kind of does with with dudes he signs gets excited wants to push them to the mood and then they do something that annoys him and he's like you know what I'm just gonna forget about you and let you collect dust like i'll still put i'll still promote you but i'm just gonna put you in fights because you're not promotable anymore and that's what happened with him and crawford you crawford got featured a lot on hbo he got you know big opportunities to victor post so the fight was on pay-per-view he was always featured in prominent fights that being said it was always against just guys that you knew he was probably gonna beat and he was never really being tested his true abilities and it was frustrating as hell because he looked like one of them generational talents we were just talking about within a way and all we want to do is see him be attested against a guy of his equal, you know, skill. And so did he. And he's getting pissed off at Aaron because of that. And the main reason why is because at this point, Pacquiao was still active. And mm -hmm. that's what the whole drama was. 
to the main one. So people say, oh, Crawford and Spence should have fought years ago. Yes, but Crawford wasn't even trying to chase Spence. At that point, Pacquiao is still active. They're in the same promotional entity with Bob Arum. And I'm sure many a time before that, he was promised, yeah, one day you're going to fight Pacquiao. One day you're going to fight Pacquiao. Just do this. And they kept on doing it. And so you would see Crawford, you know, fight this guy, knock him out for a title defense, knocks out Ndongo. I want Pacquiao next. Oh, it's going to happen. Probably going to happen one day. Moves up to welterweight, beats the shit out of Jeff Horn. Yeah, Pacquiao fight. And then at one point, too, you remember after there was like an interview and Aram and Crawford were like talking and Crawford was like, you know what I want or something. Then he looks at Aram and kind of gives him the eyes like that. And Aram's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to make the fight. Don't worry. It's going to happen. Pacquiao and Crawford's going to happen. And so that's his own dealings, you know. Then you look at um, Errol Spence. Spence from the Olympics, uh, just one of those can't-miss fighters, too. You know what I mean? Featured prominently because he's on PBC, um, so he's getting a lot of television time, too. Whether, uh, Jesus, over all those networks. He wasn't featured on HBO like a lot of the um, earlier Heyman client guys were, like Birdo and a few others. But he was one of those dudes that when they broke free and started, you know, being featured on every basically every network you could imagine back then, right? Free boxing for all. Um, I was fooling, I was fine with that. Whatever reason, people got mad because it was free boxing everywhere. The only problem with that era was that it was hard to keep up with what was going on because there was so much of it happening on different networks. But I think that was a good thing. Anyway, Spence was always featured on that. You know what I mean? And by the time he finally fights Kell Brook and stops him for the for the welterweight championship. He's one of those guys that, like, he's kind of in flux because, yeah, he's a champ, but there's so many guys in the PBC, uh, PBC um, sphere that he could potentially fight that. He doesn't need to branch out, you know what I mean? Because, again, back then you had Berto, who was still active and kind of popular. Um, you had um, Porter, you know what I mean? Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia. Um, Broner or whatever division he was going to be in. I think the corpse of Polly Malinagi might have still been hanging around that couldn't got beat down by anybody. So, like, there was more options over there for him as opposed to him trying to call out a dude over at top rank. Like, yeah, everybody <laughs> would love to have a Pacquiao fight, but they knew that wasn't going to happen either because Aaron wasn't going to play ball. So they would just kind of be circling around each other for a long time, you know? Yeah. They, they kind of seem to uh, fight on somewhat semi-parallel paths I remember the first time I ever heard about Errol Spence, um, you know, I'd love to say oh, I followed him since the amateurs, but I, I honestly have not. Uh, but the first time I ever heard of him was when he was a young pro, young undefeated, well, he's still undefeated, but young undefeated pro. And someone had said, yeah, you know, you hear about this kid, Errol Spence Jr. I was like, no. I said, yeah, that was that kid that was in, in Mayweather's gym giving him the business the other day. And I yeah. was just like, never heard of him. And they were like, well, you know, keep your eye out because this fool was apparently slapping Floyd around or, you know, I mean, shit gets exaggerated. I, that's not me saying, you know, I wasn't you there. Know what? Yeah, I heard it. Apparently he was beating up other top level pros too. And I forgot, like, I think Bad Junior, someone tweeted him, said, stop beating up my favorite fighters. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody said something about it. And I remember hearing about it and going like, yeah, okay. You know, like, and I, I kind of took note of the, of his name or whatever. And that was the first time I ever really heard of him. And then, yeah, like you said, like right around 2014, 2015, what was it? The, like the Leonard Bundu fight, you know, a little after yes. that, you know. I was there. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, he was he was beating fools up and it was looking like, you know, damn, this kid's got some serious power. He's got some good speed. He seems to be very well schooled. 
Uh, and obviously we've seen him from there. And, you know, I've told this story before I'll be brief since I've already said it before, but uh, when I was at uh, Alvarado Rios two covering that fight in Vegas, Terrence Crawford fought on the undercard. He fought uh, Brady's Prescott. And by the way, I'll straight say it right now. Kevin Ioli scored that fight for Brady's Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck fight he was watching. That shit was. Wait, wait, it's Crawford. Yeah, he he scored it for Brady's Prescott over Terrence Crawford. I seen it. It's bad. I don't, I don't, I, I, all right. I, what was, a fool. I was definitely in the studio. I was definitely in the studio for HBO what for that. A fool. Um, I haven't watched it since working it that night. And from what I recall, I don't think Prescott won around. <laughs> Bro, it was Terrence Crawford. He didn't even like he didn't even open up that much. He literally just boxed him the entire yeah. fight. Like, dude, he didn't even like it was almost like to some people were like frustrated. They're like, Oh, I thought this guy was supposed to be good. He didn't even, you know, stop Brady's Prescott, but he just like boxed him. He just like he just outclassed him. Substitute too. I don't even think he was yeah, to be it, yeah, yeah. It was like a couple weeks or something like that. He joined the card. And fucking, it was like easy. It was like easy money and shit. And then t- and Kevin Ioli goes out like right after the fight. He was like, "Yeah, I scored that for Prescott, like you know, like six rounds to four or something like that." And I remember being like, "Whoa, buddy, yowza!" Anyway, that was really when I first took note of Terrence Crawford because I mean, I probably maybe had seen him before that. If he was on TV, I'd probably seen him before that, but I can't say for sure. Regardless, I seen him there. I was like, oh, he's really good. He's obviously very, very highly skilled. Uh, Brady's Prescott, not a great fighter, but a solid fighter who can sometimes show up and do some shit. And he was not that night. He got shut out. And so obviously Terrence Crawford developed from there. And that was a top rank card. So he had gotten signed to top rank. And obviously at 135 pounds, his breakout fight was against uh, Uriorkis Gamboa. You know, it was a it was a bit of a war probably not as much of a war as people thought Terrence Crawford was kind of kicking his ass just occasionally getting hit with a bunch or two here and Gamboa is the kind of guy who was like you know throw massive bombs but then like get knocked across the ring two seconds later so it looks crazy you know it looks all fucking tough man and shit but that was kind of his his breakout fight and after that was you know it's just been shooting onward but I think that what you were talking about with top rank and his issues with Aram are significant because uh, to speak frankly, dude, uh, top rank and Bob Arum in particular, okay, at this point, this ain't going to get in me in trouble with nobody. I don't do shit in boxing, <laughs> but they have a history straight up of just uh, kind of hamstringing their own fighters and throwing them under the bus when they don't do well or they don't pull good numbers or they're not, you know, selling a lot of pay-per-views. Terrence Crawford, he's impossible to promote. He's a lot of problems. And I'm like, hmm, this sounds really familiar. I go back to like 2001, Bob Arum about Floyd Mayweather Jr. He doesn't sell. Nobody wants to watch him. And it's like, bro, just a few years later, he's on pay-per-views and selling, you know, very well in the mid 2000s in yeah, pay-per-views. They able to do it on his own. Yeah, it was like and yeah. The- and this is, I mean, it's not like it, it's not like it's not relevant. It is relevant because Aram was saying the exact same thing oh, about Mayweather. Funny. And look at Crawford now. I was watching I uh, before our favorite boxing channel got taken down still pissed off about that yeah um, shout out to jay seclo if you're watching bro rest in peace to your youtube channel son of a bitches he um i was watching floyd goyo vargas because i think i just need something to fall asleep to and that fight sucked so who, who got he had a couple of stinkers to be honest yeah. and i remember because this was the height of floyd's drama with aaron 
saying, you know, um, Bob won't do this. He's not going to give me this. HBO won't do that. And Aaron was saying, yeah, Floyd's not promotable. And it didn't help Floyd's cause that night that I think that fight was in Vegas and there was barely anybody there. It, and, and Floyd did say some crazy shit, like the slave contracts. Oh, I mean, yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong. Don't get talking. me wrong. But but I mean, yeah, that, I'm just I was thinking when you were mentioning the Floyd thing that brought me back to watching that the other night because that was exactly what that was like the height of his like issues going on with Aram and everything. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Aram, I remember in an interview specifically went out and started talking shit about uh, Roger Mayweather and Floyd Sr. And saying he needs to get away, Floyd Jr. needs to get away from those guys. They're bad, inf- you know, it's a bad thing. And that's already a sore subject for, Flo- you know what I'm saying? So it's like, dude, you know, it was back and forth. Point being, this is not a good way to have your fighter do well, do good numbers. And so to come out and say that about, about Terrence Crawford, when he's like at the top of his game, he's kicking the crap out of whomever you're putting in front of him, you know, with fairly minimal problems this is not helpful you know like even if it you do feel that way just to come out and say it like that is not helpful to your cause it's not going to make him sell better to do that so anyway uh yeah you know and then that kind of shit and then on the other side to be fair errol spence had his own demons dude he was he was showing up a lot on a lot of these like fan videos and stuff like that looking pretty ham dog looking pretty sauced so i mean it looked like he had some shit going on and then obviously the big car crash that he looked messed up, bro. I was concerned that he was not going to have much of a career after that. So it's good that he's been able to come back, but it is still a kind of a point of contention, dude. Dude. Remember when, cause no one can, everybody has to be the first to give uh, news, even if it's bullshit news and fake, which 90% of the time it is. Cause no one can just sit back and let things play its course. Um, when that car crash happened, remember right away, people were jumping in saying everything from either he's dead or he's going to be in a coma or he's this, he's going to be paralyzed, blah, blah, blah. Like all kinds of stuff. Ups, um, um, upset. I can't even say the word. Unstand- <laughs> Unsubstantiated. Exactly. Unsubstantiated. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a word. It's a word. Yeah, yeah. Unsubstantiated. And um, <laughs> And it's like, yo, what the fuck? Like, there was a lot of people that just kind of like, and everyone was like, oh, for my sources. And these were like from accounts that barely had anything. And so you just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to let it take play its course until I hear from actual verified accounts back then. Ding, ding. Remember verified accounts that were real? Um, <clears throat> here the news from. So now I just block them. Yeah, and, uh, it's. I was probably among the people speculating, but I don't think any of the speculation I did was unfair. You know, looking at a dude who has, uh, you know, He's got burst blood vessels in his eyes, serious like road rash all up one side of his face. You know, it looked like he had some sort of jaw issue. It, to me, it was, you know, he that's really lucky. Bro, and you're getting, you're getting hit in the head. Yeah. And in a sport that has had a lot of uh, tragedy involving car accidents, motorcycle accidents, and just reckless things like that of that nature, um, it's good. It's thank God he didn't become another statistic like that because it was very quick, you know, because it easily happens and um yeah but yeah like that definitely derailed him for a little bit but then he came back um <clears throat> you know was able to defend his title i think uh, his first fight back was in what against danny garcia i think so yeah and you know he didn't look amazing but he looked good enough for a guy that just suffered from a major car wreck so that was impressive in itself and you know the porter fight and um Again, he like you said, they both had bad luck in terms of like things where they're finally going to get that big super fight. It looks like, or they get close to it and things just, you know, for one reason or another, don't fall through. 
Um, for Crawford, like I said, it was the Pacquiao fight being dangled like a carrot in his face for a number of years and just never being able to secure it because Aaron would always yank it away. Um, but then you have on that side when Pacquiao actually was going to decide to join, you know, make a deal with PBC and he was going to fight Errol Spence, which I'm sure Crawford was just fuming about too because he's like, that was supposed to be my fight, my fight, my fight, you know? And then I was excited for that fight, even though Spence probably was going to beat him down. I think everybody was because, you know, Pacquiao's that dude. And then look at the bad luck of Spence that he suffers, um, you know, the detached retina that he's forced to pull out of that fight. And Ugas ends up taking it. And it's like, you know, so Spence almost might have been feeling like at that point that someone had like a voodoo doll or some shit on him, that they were just like, you know, putting pins in him. Crawford for that matter too. And boxing fans are fed up because Crawford now is basically done with top rank. He's, you know, essentially a free agent. Um, Spence beats Ruges and... Oh, and the Avanesian fucking debacle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're just wondering, okay, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Why is it going to happen? Boxing stupid. Blah, 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 blah. To the point where I remember last year, it looked like it was going to happen. Like, I forgot what it was like during the summertime. It was like, it seemed like there was a lot of discussion, a lot of rumors, and it was moving to that toward that point. all the other accounts were like you know giving their updates of what they were hearing and all of a sudden it fell fell apart at the very end because of course that's boxing right and we're just like god damn it you know this is never going to happen now like we're just pissed off this always happens where we're at the brink of a major fight about to happen it looks like it's going to happen and now you just yanked it away from us because they couldn't get i don't know they couldn't agree on what pre-fight meal they were going to eat or some shit and like So the fact that we finally got to this point, um, Crawford was able to make a deal with PBC. They were able to get it together. Kudos to everybody involved because we finally got to this, man. Like like you said, even though they're a little bit older, they're not quite in their primes anymore. They're still two of the best fighters in the world. They're still undefeated. They're two, um, this is for absolute supremacy of welterweight, if not of outright in boxing, depending on how you want to look at it. And this is a bit, this is huge. This is like a generational fight. This is one that, People have been clamoring for for a long, long, long time. And Mayweather, like Mayweather Pacquiao, you're pissed off that it took so long to make it, but you're still excited that it finally got done. Yeah, and it's still worthwhile. It's not like it's been so long. Yeah, it's not been like ruined or something like that. Um, and I think I misspoke too. I, I know Crawford is like 38 or 39, but Errol Spence is only like 34. But he's not necessarily a super young 34 and at least in part because of, you know, he took some serious damage in that car accident. And on top of that, remember he got hit by a car. He got hit by like somebody driving a car, like. And then like, you know, anytime a fighter has to um, recover from a detached retina, will never really quite be the same either. You have to worry about that in your career. We've, we've seen that like time and again, and like, we have a lot of experience seeing that in boxing as a matter of fact. That's a that's a very serious injury. Yeah, there's a lot of variables here, you know. And you know what makes this so intriguing too? We were talking about this the other day. They both, even though they're both like, you know, boxer punchers, they're not like guys that are gonna shy away from each other. Like you just feel that they're gonna exchange. Yep. You know, what I mean? they they have this healthy um rivalry with each other that they need to know who's the best. Like they've been circling each other for years, they know each other's strengths, weaknesses, all this stuff. And this is their this is their legacy fight. They know yeah. this is their legacy fight. Like it ain't gonna get no bigger than this. This is the fight that's gonna define them for the rest of their careers. 
regardless of how much success they have after this. And if you're going to win one fight, this is the one you need to win. Even if you're undefeated, this is the one you need to win more than anything. And oh my God, yeah. man, I'm just because they these guys do like to exchange. Spence will go in the pocket and exchange with you. You've seen him tagged and tagged, you know, while he's throwing in combinations. Same thing with Crawford, even though Crawford is, you know, lauded upon as being some kind of defensive wizard. He got tagged by, like you said, Gamboa. He got tagged a lot by a mean machine. He got tagged by other guys. He can be hit in between combinations sometimes. He adjusts, but he can be tagged and he can be hurt. So it's like. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's a lot going on in there, dude. There's a lot going on in there. Um, to me, it seems like Crawford's probably the, a little bit more like tense, you know, kind of guy in general, a little bit more competitive arrows, a little bit more, a little bit more laid back. Dude's a little more country. <laughs> I mean, I know that, I know that Crawford's from Omaha, but he doesn't really strike me as too country. Whereas Spence, he's got the horses and shit. He's yep, kick, yep, kicking yep. it on the ranch. But, uh, you know, I know Crawford has, uh, he used to do a lot of, uh, wrestling when he was younger. And I know that he's still got that wrestling knowledge because they put him in there a couple times. I've seen in the gym, you know, dude's shooting on him and he's, he's has super good fucking takedown defense, um, which I thought was really interesting, but regardless, uh, you know, they're both really competitive though. And they both, like I was saying to you, like some other day when we were talking about it, they both got dog in them, dude. There's no question that they're both the kind of fighters where if you catch them, they want to get you back. They're not, you know, they might, you know, they might chill a little bit. They might not necessarily go wild because they're not stupid, but they're going to want to get you back. And we've seen that with Crawford countless times. Like, well, times that, get hit, like, and then, yeah. And, and, but they're also both, like I said, a little bit calculated too. And they're both skilled. And like, there's that clip going around, for instance, of uh, the, the Crawford Porter fight. Oh, where, I was about to bring that up. Yep. The last yeah, round. That yeah, where he was like, I'm losing. Yeah, he's looking to the whoever it is he's talking to in the crowd or whatever, and he's like, "I'm, I'm up, I'm up," and whoever it is says, "No, he's up," and he goes, "He's up," and he kind of goes like, looks off and goes like, "Damn," like, yeah. you get this look on this face like, like yeah, "Yeah, he had a face like really." All okay. right, <laughs> and then just immediately after that went nuts and got the stoppage against a dude who's really difficult to stop, very tough guy, uh, you know, and also who really brought it that night too. Like Porter was in form. He was not fucking around, you know, and he's not an easy fighter to fight and also had a bit of a size advantage on Crawford coming down from, I think he started like 160. So, I mean, you know, in any case, uh, you know, but just to demonstrate that both of these fighters are the kind of kind of fighters who are like, you know, they're not going to go easy. You know, like they're not, I would be shocked if either of them, you know, at any point was just like, yeah, I'm good. I'd be shocked. Neither of them seem like that kind of fighter. It's it's going to come down. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a stoppage. I could conceivably see one, but like it would have to be like a guy is taking massive amount of punishment while he's standing in a corner or something. It's not going to be like I'm going down and I have to. I just can't do this anymore. Um, I think both are too proud for that. I don't see anyone getting cold cocked because I don't have like one punch knockout power like that. They have the power to hurt you but not the power like Tommy Hearns where it's going to decapitate you and just leave you quivering, you know? And oof, I don't know. It's so it, you got it, the, you got the Leonard Hearns shirt on though. And you just brought up and you just brought up Hearns. So, I mean, like we could even just briefly talk about like where this might lie or where this might lay on, uh, you know, Crawford Spence, Spence Crawford on in the grand pantheon 
of like welterweight showdowns. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, every all-time great welterweight showdown for the past 40-something years have been compared to Leonard Hurts. That's the first one they bring up because this fight literally was one of the greatest fights of all time. And it had everything you could have imagined in it. You know what I mean? The the back and forth, like the highest level of boxing you can see displayed between both guys. The um the changes in scenarios of how the fight played out, where the beginning where, mm. you know, was doing this and Hearns was doing that and then at one point Hearns becomes the boxer and Leonard became the aggressor and Leonard has his eyes swollen shut Hearns has been a winning the fight going away now even though we got hurt in the middle rounds and then Leonard rallying the win by knockout like it, just, it was like a drama that you, a movie couldn't even bring it up you know what I mean like it was beautiful to watch and it still holds up today you watch it back then and everything about it still holds up and makes it and it's still better than anything you'll watch today for that matter let alone hold up but the problem with that is like almost like, for instance, when you know Nas coming out with Illmatic and having everything compared to his first seminal album, nothing's really going to compare to Leonard Hurts. So it's even though for promotional wise, I understand why they do it, it's like it's almost impossible. We've seen like countless times over the years, big welterweight fights we get really really hyped about not live up to its expectations because who's going to live up to Leonard Hurts? You know. Um, we had De La Hoya Trinidad was probably the most biggest example where you were, we were both big fans in 99. We already know the fever pitch that fight was bringing, how long it took for them to get together. Um, the fact that Aram and Don King finally decided that they were going to come it, together. And it felt huge, yeah. It, it felt huge, absolutely humongous. Like Both guys were in their prime. Um, it took a few years to make, but it was finally happening, like undefeated. And the way their styles were, you just knew that there was going to be like wild exchanges and knockdowns and all this shit. Like it was beautiful to think. And of course, it just turned into an absolute dud. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it can happen. You know, yeah. like it's nothing's it guaranteed. But yeah, you know, in terms of what it felt like, it was big. Have, like as much as they were comparing it to Leonard Hearn, you know, saying it's going to be Leonard Hearn, Leonard Hearns, there was a stink bomb, you know. Delahoya just ran around and outboxed for nine rounds and whatever. I'm not going to replay that fight. It fucking sucked. But you get what I'm saying. Um, If you want to make another comparison and be like, you know what, this isn't a bad one because it was a very good fight. It kind of underrated over the years. Delahoya Forte. You know, it wasn't sustained like crazy back back and forth each, you know, round where like guys with wild exchanges, but it was an intense fight from beginning to end. Both guys traded knockdowns, I think, in round six, which was pretty awesome. And Delahoya was struggling up into that fight. Forte, I thought, was winning until, you know, the last round when he got dropped and Oscar did that miraculous rally. Yep. And that's a great fight. You know what I mean? It may not be Leonard Hurts, but it doesn't have to be to make it a great fight. And For sure. It's a good call. Forte, yeah, Delahoya-Forte was a great fight in my mind. Like, you know, I had a lot of great exchanges. It was very, like I said, the intensity and, the you know, skill level was up there to the very end. And Delahoya had a rally, really rally at the end to make a dramatic finish. Um, if Spence and Crawford could compare to even like that or surpass that, I'd be more than happy. No, for sure, dude. Like, you know, multiple <laughs> knockdowns, yeah. uh, you know, a, a last minute rally to kind of like change the tide. Uh, you know, De La Hoya is having a struggle to win this fight. Yeah. And you know, Ike, great jab. That was a really good fight. Dude. That was a good call. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and obviously, if you want to go like way, way back, you know, you're gonna have to fucking dive pretty deep. Like if we're talking about fights that were televised and whatnot with the, Absolutely. yeah, you know, uh, 
uh armstrong ross and you know like these kind of level fights you know like i said you have to go pretty far back but we can don't have to however just but the whole point being that adding this up here you know these are two really seasoned fighters between crawford and spence uh like i said they've kind of par- uh, traveled a somewhat parallel path you know, both of them had really decorated amateur careers there's a lot of very familiar names if you look at both of their amateur careers errol spence i'm pretty sure was an amateur national uh, golden gloves champion uh terence crawford i think was a two times like silver medalist in the world amateur championships um you know so like these are high level fighters who fought international competition as amateurs had long amateur careers have been kind of you know brought up and pushed in this direction built up as fighters and yeah this fight should have i guess happened a couple years earlier and could have but nonetheless it didn't we're here now shit is big and i have to ask you dude what the fuck is gonna happen eris oh man um I've been going back and forth. We've been talking about it going back and forth. Um, I'm leaning toward Crawford at the very end of it. I think I've watched both of these guys for a long time. We both, you know, we all have as collectively as fans. And as good as Spence is and as his overall game is and everything, I think Crawford still just has one or two more tricks up his sleeve than Spence might. And that he can pull out, you know. And um, I think I can see Crawford. Uh, I don't know if he's going to stop him or not. He might. I, he could. You know, Spence could stop Crawford. Who the hell knows? That's what makes this so brilliant. But I'm going to go with Crawford by decision. I think that's a fair pick, dude. <clears throat> and I think that that's – I think you you make the case pretty succinctly and fairly. And I, I think that I agree, except for I think that Crawford might be able to stop him. Uh, late, most likely. Very late, yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you just look at this on paper and don't even get into too many particulars, if you if you view being Southpaw as an advantage, as it generally is, I mean, I think that at least in in some ways, it usually is some kind of advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crawford's ability to switch, even though as a slight aside, I think switching stanches is kind of overrated and the kind of thing that like usually it does not work well. However, some fighters make it work really well. Crawford is one of those fighters. He fights well right-handed, and he fights well left-handed, too. And so I, mean, I, think, look, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. like I just, I just got quickly reminded you said usually it doesn't work well. Um, Layla, Ali's, Layla Ali's ex-husband, Yaya McLean, he ended up breaking his ankles against Ezra Sellers because he tried in, mid, in mid-switch stancing. Sellers just blasted him with one punch and knocked him unconscious and broke his ankle while he did it. Yeah, you're like, it's it's you're not defenseless while switching stances, but it yeah. definitely is a point at which you can get caught. And like, I you mean, gotta know what you're doing. If Crawford is as smooth as anybody is out there doing it. Totally. Exactly. Perfectly put. He knows how to do it. He knows what he's doing and he can fight both ways. Whereas, you know, generally speaking, and I say this all the time, especially while watching bare knuckle. If I see a fighter just switching stances, I'm just like this. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're, they think they know what they're doing. They think they're looking cool and they're going to get blasted. And often they do. And But point being, you know, any sort of southpaw advantage that Spence might otherwise have, I think, is mostly taken away by the fact that Crawford, he, he's seen it. He knows what he's doing. And on top of that, you talk about the amateur experience. Why that is, I don't know. But they talk about this all the time that you see far more southpaws in the amateurs. I don't know why, but you do. 
apparently. And so nonetheless, there are these kind of little advantages. Uh, Crawford's already settled into 147. I don't think he's a small welterweight by any means. So I don't really think that it, unless Errol Spence is like cutting a shitload of weight that I'm not aware of, because he's been comfortably at welterweight for a long time. You know, I don't think there's a big size advantage. There doesn't seem to be a massive skill advantage either way. Uh, but yeah, I I would agree. I think Crawford has more tricks up his sleeve is a little bit snappier, a little bit faster, a little bit better with his feet and lighter on his feet. Errol Spence is a little bit like heavier on his feet, a little bit more kind of thudding power than Crawford. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I have to kind of side with Crawford, but it's the type of fight where if Errol Spence wins, even if he wins by stoppage, like I'll be surprised, but not shocked because it's, it's high level stuff. Both of them have enough power that something big lands, it could be the beginning of the end type of thing. But that's also what makes the fight great. As we've said with so many fights before, when you really aren't certain what kind of, you know, who to pick and how, that's what you want, dude. That's This is what we want out of boxing. And this is just... I mean, we're, of... we're fans, as bo- us as boxing fans, we're simple. All right, just give us the fights that we want. That's And that's... Competitive fights. Yeah. Fights where we don't know who's going to win. Like that's that's... It's so simple like that. And so much of boxing is predicated on building fighters up against uh, uh, opponents they're favored over, you know, so like a massive percentage of fights are just, you know, fights where there's a huge favorite. And so fights where we don't really know who's going to win is what we ask for. And 2023 has, and late 2022 has truly delivered in that regard. Yeah. There have been some frustrations you bought brought up earlier, the kind of warring factions and the fact that, it's like difficult sometimes to put this team against this team and put these fights together. And that sucks. I don't like it, but boxing has been succeeding despite itself, despite all of those things that are totally worth complaining about. For some reason, it's still been getting its ass into gear and putting it together for us. And man, thank you. Fucking boxing. I love it. I love you. Let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Couldn't have said it better. And this has been a fantastic year. man. It's been an absolutely fantastic year. We've had, Think about the amount of fights that we've had so far, like the good, I mean, really, really good fights. And then the big ones too, like the ones that we've been clamoring for, whether or not they like lived up to our expectations. Like we've been waiting forever to get Tank versus Ryan in the ring, right? That finally took place earlier back in April. Um, Fulton, in a way, that we were like, everyone's been really excited about. We were salivating about that fight on the podcast a few months back. And, yeah, and as a potential, even just possibility, yes, like it hadn't even been, you know, yeah, it hadn't even really been thought about like that. And then look what happens. And now, um, not only did we have that today, look what we get on Saturday. Boxing's healthy. All right. All those people, like you said earlier, that were like, oh, it's dying. The UFC is going to take over. You don't we're get any good over. fights anymore. It's like, no, you do. And if, and if you don't think you do, you're not paying enough attention. Exactly. You're not a real boxing fan. Go kick rocks. Yeah, which is fine. Leave it for us then jerks I, you know what i've been rocking with this sport at, at its very lowest to its very highs i don't think i'm going anywhere so you know we've been through we've been with the sport a while we've stuck through a lot of stuff you know there's not to say that we're the veterans there have been people around the sport a lot longer than we've been around but we've been around long enough that i think it's like you know calling us a couple <laughs> names i think we've definitely been wrong, uh, around long enough that we can call us so jaded Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and enough that you're not going to like chase us away with some bullshit. You know what I mean? So we're here, we're here to stay. We're loving what's going on, dude. I'm super excited. I, after this morning and the performance this morning, and then coming up this weekend, dude, I'm excited. We got some shit going, bro. 
this is really good. Let's get the uh, keep the momentum going. Hell yeah. Well, that being said, vacation is over. Playtime is over. We're keeping the momentum going for the show as much as we can too. So Eris, I really appreciate you hopping on, dude. I, you had to wake up early. I had to wake up early. We had to take a fucking nap like a couple of old bastards. So here we are, though. Dude, I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for everybody who listened in on uh, the podcast. We appreciate you. Whatever podcast app it is you listen in, give us a rating. Give us a little you know, comment, et cetera. And if you watched on YouTube, hello, and thank you so much. Same thing, subscribe, give us a comment or rating, whatever that might be. And you know, we'll try to get back to you. As far as social media goes, don't make me say X. We're on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's really variable. It's fucking day to day. But we're there for now. Eris, my dude, Punch Zone, Eris, uh, A-R-I-S. Uh, he's there. Say hi to him. Me, Patrick Connor. On there is Patrick M. Connor. We're also there. Uh, you know, the, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on both Facebook and Instagram. So give us a follow. Eris, we'll talk soon, bro. Good one, yeah.